0: What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome back to the Art of War and Broken. Now, this is part two of the episode. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go and check it out. I am joined once again by the man, the myth, the legend. You all know him. You all love him. He's won everything around. Mr. John Lennon. What's up, Blake? I am happy to be back in action here for part two. Happy to be talking about my favorite and my first army in the game, Tyranids. What's cracking? Ooh, what's cracka a What's crack I can pass that. Like, stock no uh ah, messed me up i can't oh, i'm sorry Blake. my rap career is over before it started but let's talk about let's talk about this list man i'm excited about it because you got uh, the spore mine generators back there we off camera we kind of went on like i think like a 15 minute rant off camera there just talking about the list and i kind of wish we'd recorded it because i was really it was some exciting stuff actually just talking about how the list generates things and how it plays yeah no, the spore mines are incredible you know we actually they're so, like, weird and unconventional because they're, like, one of the only units in the game that doesn't generate points. Honestly, you probably should have, uh, like, kind of explained how they work in part one because if, if you haven't played against a spore mine, it is not like anything else. Yeah, I... I want to talk about what you talk we'll talk about how they work and i want to do it in context of kind of your your strategy here because you were talking about in part one how you use them a lot of times to kind of protect your home objectives which i thought was pretty interesting and how you were talking about you put the raveners up on the wall and make kind of a barrier if you kind of walk us through that i think that's pretty cool yeah absolutely so one of the main benefits of uh the spore mines because the spore mines are slow so for context i can launch them all over the place but they're not that durable Um, like they're t31 wound they're just free so i don't really care if they die but uh, i i can't just like run them straight at you without them just getting shot by bulkens and dying so i kind of position them behind walls and they're used as like a a great uh deterrent and a great counter to units that get aggressive like if people if i like seed mines into the middle of the table behind walls and then people step onto the center objective then i can move the mines up to them like what it generally is is that the mines don't run people down the mines go where people want to go wait for them to show up and then go explode on them is generally how the mines work so i use them defensively in that uh they're a charge deterrent and they're a movement block because uh you can't the uh, you can move through a spore mine it's kind of like an aircraft but you can't end your move within an inch of a spore mine because it's still a model so i can physically place it where people want to go what i'll often do is on like turn one i'll run like the parasite of mortrex and some raveners up into a ruin that i i want to occupy and hold an objective on and the parasite will raise the banner the raveners will be a counterpunch and then I'll put six Spore Mines from the Spore Assist directly in front of the Raveners and like in between them and the wall so that my opponent can't charge me because I have to be able to physically place their models to charge me. And Games Workshop has removed their, uh, their two-inch off-the-wall uh, rule because that was weird. Uh, then the biovore in my shooting phase makes 3d3 more Spore Mines, and I drop them in the same hole. And I'm like, okay, if you want to charge the Raveners, you're going to get hit by, give or take, 12 Spore Mines. <sighs> and that's a lot of mortal wounds, and no one wants to take that kind of damage before they hit a premier combat unit and it's one they do nothing two to five they do one six they do d3 uh better than that uh it's on a two plus they do one but on a five they do d3 Oh, so a five plus is d3 mortal wounds that I think means this is that good i think this is really it's, good it's really good that means that each each spore mine has an expected value of one point one to six repeating mortal wounds so a six man of spore mines will most likely result get seven mortal wounds I, I'm no mathematician here, but the generation of twelve of those a turn over the course of a game feels strong. Feels very strong for free. Essentially, it's it's not even part of your list. It's just like yeah, I, I pay a 230 point premium to get the generators in because I'm gonna be honest with you. The Biovores and the Spore Assist sit behind a wall, do not score secondary points, do not like, and they just do this. This is their full-time job. They don't do anything else. But there is still a lot of value in what they do. 230 points to make. 12 ish spore mines a turn is a good value like i am yeah. i am not mad to have that that's crazy that in that just in some armies too like if they don't have a plan to get hit by 12 spore mines like demons like you talked about or this armies that don't that don't have a defense to be hit by things that can't make a save verse yes it's wrong. it's real real good um i just love having them there's they're so darn annoying um but it's, it's mainly for the deterrent so again so I'll, I'll fill them up against the wall and i'll put them within an inch of a wall and i'll be like yeah you can charge the spore mines i don't i don't care about that um you know, you're just gonna take mortals and sit in front of my army and then um and i'll, I'll kind of like build them up build them up build them up and i'll make it so that approaching my primary is very appealing so by the end of my turn two usually it's turn one spore assist and biobore seed uh, a primary objective and then turn two the spore assist stacks onto that primary objective and the biobore launches midfield and so by like the end of my turn two it's usually there's one primary uh, objective." And I fill it up with, uh, with 18 spore mines and I keep the parasite and a squad there. And it's like, yeah, like, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to come over here and I'm going to hit you with 18 spore mines that walk out <laughs> from behind the wall. Like, again, that's average. That's like 21 mortals. We're going to shoot them. And that's just, what are you yeah, doing? Or like, yeah. well, like I usually don't even bring them out. I'm just like, yeah, this is a primary I want. I'm going to put, you know, end of turn two and like 18 spore mines sitting behind the wall, not going to come out and get shot. They're just going to wait for you to come over to me. Can they Can and they score? Can they score primary? They do not score anything. They do not count for secondary objectives. You cannot get no prisoner points off of them. They cannot score primary. They cannot contest primary. They cannot raise banners. They don't count for points. They don't count for grind them down. Uh they count for kills for anything that is unrelated to the mission. So for example, the incarn can teleport off of spore mines and oh, you gosh. can generate miracle dice from killing spore mines, but you cannot generate points from the destruction or placement of spore mines. So they don't huh. get engaged in all fronts either. Although, yeah, if they did, yeah. I would that would be broken. Yeah, it'd be broken. You'd just be like, oh, here, yeah. 18 inches away. There you go. Yeah, i just have a one Biovore launch and engage and all their weapons on <laughs> every turn. Like, woo! Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that doesn't need to happen, though. That's okay. How far is the Biovore launching them? Uh, 48 inches. What? They can, go 40, they can go full board and just put it wherever? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Biovores launch them. And the Biovore gun is 48-inch range. It's a 48-inch indirect piece that shoots spore mines. And they can choose to do an action. If they don't shoot, they place D3 spore mines. So it's either D3 shots with a biovore, with a spore mine indirect, or it's placed D3 spore mines 48 inches away. Your choice. What? So you literally could just be like, here's D3 spore mines in your backfield. Yeah. I mean, it's a unit of three, so it's three D3 spore mines. It's D D3 per biobor. Oh, OK, so you're just like you could, you could in theory, put like seven back there or something, you know, like yeah, put, put a yeah, I could put a hand. Yeah, if people like leave an empty ruin in their deployment zone and they're not there's nothing to go back there, I'll just put them in their backfield. You know, it's 48 inches. I find a good spot for it and just fill it up. And then you say, hey, you want to take your own objective, like <laughs> take it, take yeah. it, take some mortals. Yeah, you That's can wild. you can like fill uh, an objective up and just be like, if you want to move onto this, you take mortals, your choice. That's pretty wild, man. I love that. The other piece I really like on your list, because it's probably my favorite model in the game, is the freaking Raveners. They look cool. They're a little baby Ravners baby cool uh ones. what are the big one of the big versions of them is called? The it's like big baby big... trigon. Yeah, baby trigon, yeah. So a... yeah. Well, because Kraken is an army that's all about speed, um, you know, Raveners really benefit a lot there because they're a base move 12 on a core unit, so they get all the buffs. Uh the Kraken stratum, of course, is one CP flat advance eight so the raveners can go 20 and then declare a charge by passing psychic power so the raveners are a very reliable trade missile um and they're a good damage dealer they're efficient damage for points they're not crazy they don't hit as hard per point as warriors do but it's a very good volume of damage one and it's a very fast moving platform that packs a gun and that matters a lot to me yeah that's good before we jump into kind of uh some stuff from the game and what you plan to do moving forward i got a couple wacky questions because that's what the blakening is all about is when are you taking a Moloch or a Trigon? Ooh, I am so sorry. I'm not. But when you do, is it a different high Fleet? So if you go with a, one of the Lurk Access High Fleets, you can make a Moloch obsec and count as five models. And that is when you take a Moloch because the Deep Strike is closer than nine. So he's a weird objective contesting piece. Are they good? Yeah, they're not that good. They They drop mortals, but it's like an orbital where you call your shot before they come in. Like you place uh-huh. a seismic marker and then you you do like an area of effect mortals from that point. Uh, but you place the seismic marker in your command phase and then in your next movement phase, they come in. And then the Moloch arrives somewhere within 12 of that marker. So you place the marker on it, you place like your seismic marker on an objective marker and you do mortals to anyone who sits on the objective. And then you bring the Moloch in somewhere within 12 of the marker and it can be within uh, nine inches of the enemy. But if it arrives within nine, it can't declare a charge. So, you can choose to come in nine away and then declare a charge, or you can come in less than nine away and just not be eligible to charge really easy. But it's a five model OPSEC. If you can just touch an objective, you're like, ooh, my objective now. So, like, if you're taking a Yormungonder, which is like a a good monster, uh, a good fleet for taking monsters, that's when I would take a Moloch. Uh, The Trigon, I am so sorry, Blake. I would never take a Trigon. (laughs) I would take a Trigon Prime in Bayamuth because Bayamuth has a. I don't remember if it's a relic or a warlord trait. One of their special upgrades gives you plus one damage on your your weapons. And a Moloch is a lot of attacks at damage two. And I don't want a lot of attacks at damage two. But if you can get them to damage three, I'm a lot more excited about that. Is that uh, the Trigon has a lot of damage to the Trigon Prime and the Trigon are both a bunch of attacks at like AP three or four damage two. Oh. And that's cool. But like warriors do the same thing. So it's yeah. like, I don't really want a Trigon, but a Trigon Prime with some upgrades, you can like make him like reroll wounds. And uh, reroll hits, and then plus one damage, and all of a sudden you're like, this guy actually hits. You're seeing a light bulb come on my head over here. Um, all right, Blake wants to play the Snakey Boys. Oh. I just want snakes. Yeah, give me much of, give me much of crazy snakes. And uh, well, Yormangonder is like the, the like the tunneling one. So like, if you wanted a Snakey Boy army, you could make a Yormangonder list with like two Trigon primes, three Trigons, like twenty <laughs> Ravens, and then yes. like Ripper swarms, like tunneling all over the place. That'd be we're cool. just tunnel, we're tunneling boys, tunnel. we're doing it but so that's that's one of my wacky questions um what's the wackiest thing outside of that's pretty wacky actually what's the wackiest thing outside of that you could think about which with tyranids what's some what's some weird units that you could see play somewhere i mean like i like this is just good uh, i'll tell you about the parasite of mortrex and its ability to create Rippers. so uh whenever the parasite infects unit if they take at least two mortals or i think if they take two wounds and like lose a model from uh, the parasite's um, infection, then I generate a Ripper Swarm within, like, uh, like, an inch away from the unit that I infected. So the parasite can run over, infect something, and then generate random Rippers. And the parasite, the parasite's just awesome, can take a relic, the gestation sac, where it carries, like, a little birthing sack with it, and once a game, it empties out the Rippers. So once a game, the parasite can perform an action that completes at the end of my shooting phase, meaning I'm still free to charge, where... I create D3 plus one Ripper Swarms. And the Parasite like runs up to you because it can advance an action with its Warlord trait, and then it's carrying the Ripper sack, So it runs up to you like 24 inches. It moves 16, so the crack, You just advance 8, and you're like, boom, 24 inches. And then the Parasite's like, blah, 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 blah. And it like vomits out D3 plus one Ripper Swarms like in the shooting phase, and they can just charge. Are ob- they to be in it? No, but the Parasite is obsec, and when you're infected with Ripper Swarms, you lose obsec. So oh. the parasite just like comes in and is like, blah, 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 and it stabs with its tail and you take mortals and you're infected and you lose obsec. And then in your command phase, you have to roll to try to get your obsec back. But in your command phase, you take mortals as you're making the roll because the rippers are trying to eat you while you're still infected. It's like super like gnarly. That's awesome. That's very thematic. It's too. I, love lo- I don't take, I don't take the relic because I don't want to, I really, tyrannid relics and world traits are like really good. And their strats are really good. And I really like starting at one CP because starting at zero feels bad. Yeah. And starting at true. one is like the bare minimum. Yeah. I uh, I agree. But man, there's a lot of cool things you could do with that, man. You can't be, your got be excited about some Tyranids, which uh, is a bad thing. You need to stop this right now because um, I'm going to be stealing your army and playing it. Uh, really, <laughs> really given, my friend. I, I'm just going to like throw my army and a paintbrush at you and like close my eyes and hope. <laughs> i i love painting it that was one of the first times i ever painted actually so um it was ugly It wasn't good but you know how that is same <laughs> i can um, show you a picture of a 14 year old that would make you cry about thin paints yeah oh me too it's thin it's like uh it's like that original rb would use would you spray paint like walmart primer because everyone told you it didn't matter and you go back you look at it, and you're like why are there little like chunks of stuff like on the model you're like, oh that's why okay you still get a smooth prime, man. Anyone out there who, who says Walmart primer is the same as like any of the other primers, like Leho or anything, you're just wrong. Do do a comparison. It, it's like uh, you get little like particles in it almost. Even if you completely shake it, do it on completely perfect circumstances. That's my rant for the day. Yeah, I've got some. I've got some fuzzy tear yeah. back Yeah, there the you day. go. There you go, um, John. Tell us about. Your gameplay and kind of the strategies you would have enacted. You, hindsight 2020, you get to go back, replay this game. Tell us about the moves that you would have made in the moment. Gotcha. So the moves that I would make. So like there's a couple layers for this, which is one, I probably would just pull my objective back and try to um, just get my uh, get my points. Because I think I knew that going second was what I wanted. and It would probably benefit him. And something that I should have thought about was that it's priority targets which means that if we both get our priority target every turn, our priority target is just sitting behind a wall on our side of the board. We get 15 points in the mission bonus. And then if you get eights every turn, you don't even get a 12, you just get eights every turn because you're just on the two objectives at of line of sight. It's like, okay, if I just get eights every turn, I get 32 points on primary plus a 15 bonus means it's you're just max. like, it's just 47 right there. It doesn't matter who goes first or second. So I should have realized that, like the only like like there's only one scenario where like my army like where I think I lose on primary, which is that I go second and we both get to hit each other's primary. Because otherwise, I, I the worst that could happen is I tie. Because if I pull the models the objective back and we're both hidden, I'm just going to get a forty-five. Because like right. my army is very good at primary control out of line of sight. Like I I just pick one objective and I put OPSEC on it. Like one objective is in my deployment zone. It has like. 15 models in OPSEC on it, and it's never, no one ever gets there, ever. And the other one is, all right, turn one, I'm going to fast move a unit of Warriors up, because they, you know, it's minimum four advantage with Kraken, so they're actually pretty speedy. And then the Parasite's going to hop there, and then I'm going to put 12 Spore Mines on it, and a Noise Marine unit that tries to charge onto the objective is going to take 14 Mortal Wounds. And if a Possessed unit tries to charge onto it, like I, you physically can't charge the Parasite, because I wrap him in Spore Mines out of line of sight. So they can't charge the Parasite. They're not obsec, he's obsec, doesn't matter. Like, It's my objective. So I think just doing that, pulling it in, means that I avoid the scenario where I lose on primary because I think my secondaries were going to end up being better because I'm a good banners army and I'm better at taking them down than Chaos Marines are. And I can deny no prisoners very well because I don't have to use my no prisoner units to go get people. I can send out characters and mortal wounds with the mines because the mines don't generate no prisoner points because they do generate secondaries. So I think that my uh, going back, I would love to pull that objective in and make it like, you know what? I'm going to get my 45 on primary. If he goes second and I can't contest him, he'll probably get a 45 as well. But I'm not going to lose primary. I'm going to minimum, it's a tie. I'm going to get my 45 and I'm going to try to make plays onto his side to give him a little bit below a 45 but if not, he goes second. He gets a twelve. At the end, no problem. I've got my forty-five. He has to outscore me on secondaries to win the game. And I, go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my Brad here. I got a Brad comment. And uh, your 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 game plan for this army is to play primary. And this game, you kind of because you weren't comfortable the matchup, you kind of went outside your game plan a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I. I that's absolutely right. Um. I. I. So what I did to what I did was I made it easier for me to affect his primary and made it easier for him to affect mine. And, and I kind of counted on me being okay at that. And it turned out that his shooting was the right profiles to knock me off the objective. And I ended up losing a a trade war that I thought I would be okay. in. Yeah. And that put me behind the eight ball on primary. Cause again, you know, I, he, I think he beat me by about five points on primary. I think he got me by five, maybe, maybe it was eight. Maybe five, five or eight. It was like it was like a a decent number, but not a ton. But he beat me on the game by th- yeah. And so if so you're able to swing 20- one round, what's that? If you're able to swing one of those rounds, you win exactly. And frankly, because I have the Parasite of Mortrex, who again is a a portable five man Obsec model who shuts off Obsec, it's very easy for me to get one turn of turning off primary. What did he do in this game? Remind me what the Parasite. What was his? What did he go and uh, shut off? Um. So turn one, I flew up to my like priority target. I I apologize, I didn't even do that. I I raised a banner with someone else. Uh, He sat behind a wall for a couple of turns, then he floated up a little bit, then I made a dash 20 inches and went and touched his priority target. Um, And I just made myself obsec, and I was like, I'm going to contest this objective. And I went in, um, killed uh, killed the possessed that were on it, and I ended up holding it anyway. But I wasn't confident I would kill the possessed. I was like, I'm going to try to kill the possessed, and if it works, I take the objective. And if it doesn't work, the parasite will be the backup plan, and I'll still take the objective. And I ended up committing him on a, as a backup plan that wasn't necessary, because I did kill the possessed and contest the objective anyway. But I didn't know that going in. You know, possessed are gnarly. There's always a chance that I do less mortals than I want. I leave, like, three or four possessed alive, and then he's able to hit the raveners and kill them. Right. And it's like, that would be annoying. Yeah. So So that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, I, I was kind of doing a backup plan there. And then, then he, uh, unfortunately, um, he shot the Raveners down to a two man so that he could shoot the uh, Parasite. And then he killed the Parasite in shooting as well. Ah. So, Parasite actually didn't get me any value. I could have sent him in on a different turn for a contest at a different time than the Raveners. I could have just thrown him away as, like, here's a contest by himself. But because the army has heroic access, Emperor's Children have stratagems for heroic interventions, it is a little bit harder to contest an Emperor's Children objective than normal. Right, because you can't just sit So I ended there. up having to send in like a multi-step plan to make that for that turn to make the stop. And that tripped me up a little bit. That's such a that's such a next level player kind of thing, though, because a lot of times when we bring guests on, I mean, this is 74th episode. I've talked to or listened to people talk, you know, 73 times on this show. And a really common theme we see is people commit to a plan and they undercommit. And the their hindsight is, man, if I'd had a plan B on that attack i think i could have won and you had a plan b there that wasn't your mistake that was absolutely the right decision in that moment i'm sure you know because you you don't want to put just the whole theme of the show you know you don't want to put all of your odds on dice you want to have a plan that if dice fail you can still make a play exactly the raveners were stopping the heroic of the possessed and I knew that even if I didn't kill the possessed, since I was going to activate first, I could pile in and base them in combat, mm-hmm. and then they weren't going to hit the parasite. And that's all I cared about was that the parasite was going to be alive and obsec on the objective. He was right. getting a four; he was losing the banner. and of story. Yeah, and you're guaranteed those points. Yeah, that's you, you've yep. basically made it to where you know you know the the point swing either way. Yeah, you know, like I, I lament that I lost the parasite and it didn't end up battering. But frankly, if I was in the same spot, I would do the same move again. Right. I think it's the right move. Good. That's a, that's a big brain move. That's a, that's a next level move there. But what else you got for me, John? What other little tidbits of advice you have for us? Um, I mean, tidbits of advice with Kraken is that it's all about the pacing of the army. Because the reality is that the army scores primary very well and secondary is very poorly. What I end up hoping for is that my ritual is a 12, my banners is at like an 11, and then my, my kill secondary, because I end up always taking a kill secondary, unfortunately. And I'm trying to get that to like a 10 or so as well. So, like, I really rarely get my secondaries above a 35 unless you give me a secondary. Like, if you give up no prisoners, you give up bring it down, then I get, then I'm, I'm, I'm set. But until that point, I don't really get a great secondary score. So, with the army, I'm always going aggressive on primary, where it's one or two turns of staging, then it's push into the middle and start hitting my opponent's primary, and then it's a final push where I'm like, I'm going out now, I'm popping all my defensive buffs, like, hey, I'm still a good stat line army, you know, Tyranids, I play Kraken because it's, the fast one, the janky one, and I've got a ton of tricks. The Spore Mines provide a ton of tricks. It's a really cool army. But let's not forget, Tyranids are also just good data sheets behind all of that. Yeah. When you take away the frills and the tricks and the stratagems, I just have good data sheets. So I usually would like, it'll be like turn three or four. It's like, yeah, I've been like picking at you and overrunning back and forth and smiting and spawning mines and killing your screens. And now I'm going to bring out my whole army at once. And if you can't handle me (laughs) all this turn... Then, well, it's a tricky army. That's actually like a bag of bricks, still, and you're going to get hit by by a pillowcase full of bricks. Full soap. So, you know, you got some, you got some, yeah, you got some cool. doll soap in that pillow bag, and you're swinging. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's all about, uh, it's all about getting the primary momentum in this army. Where my secondaries are good enough that if I win on primary, I won't still lose. That's all they are. They're not good enough to win me the game. I'm not, I'm not, a Necrons or Sisters to be conservative. I have to push the pace at a certain point unless my opponent has similarly bad secondaries. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes absolutely sense. And, and there's not many armies that really aren't are terrible at secondaries anymore. Like, there's so many armies that have access to decent things now where they're able to play. Admech don't anymore. Admech, Admech are in a bad spot. Yeah. Uh, Chaos Marines don't have great secondaries. Um, but, you know, I give up and no prisoners, a decent amount of prisoners. So I kind of give people a, a secondary as well. It's the, the cost of running the army. I do, but I think it's worth it. The army is fantastic. Yeah. So I have to push the pace. And it's very fun because I'm I'm a very conservative player by nature, and it's fun playing an army that makes me go more aggressive. Um, you know, it's very much out of my wheelhouse, but I've learned a lot by doing so. Um, and it's fun to challenge yourself to do something a little bit different um, and do it a little bit different place than the normal. Like when the Tierney Codex came out, I built, I played High Fleet Kraken. I, again, I played Kraken since the Codex came out, so my only High Fleet. And uh, but when it came out, I was like, oh, I'm going to take Stranglehold and to the last and raise the banners. And I'm going to sit back and score my points." And I'll just kill you if you come close to me. And this list does not function that way. It goes out and gets. And it goes out and it's very aggressive with how it hits primary. So you adjusted. Your original Kraken list was a very conservative list then? And then you kind of... Yeah. So then then uh, when Nephilim happened, you know, you got to change the game. It took me a little bit to adapt, you know, had to run some practice games at home, kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But uh, getting the spore mines in has really helped me be able to be conservative without losing momentum. Yeah. If you wait too long with tyranids, you just get outscored. So I need to be able to affect the midboard, but I, I didn't like that I didn't have a good cheap skirmishing unit that could just go out and do everything I wanted. And like it felt like whenever I sent something out, I was sending out something too valuable because Tyranid units are all great. So I'm like, man, I need something bad I can send out that I don't feel bad about losing. And it turns out that free units are the best. Free way to units do that. are the best. Free yeah, units, absolutely they don't score any points, but they do deal mortals. Absolutely. Now, you said you have no changes for your list. So you're running the same list going into KC, sounds like. Yep, I'm planning on it. You know, there's always the chance that I audible into a change. Uh, the change that I have thought about the most is adding a Turvagon to the list, which would be quite an overhaul because the Turvagon and the gaunt it comes with is like a 400 and change point package. It's like 425 for a 30 man Turvagon and a Turvagon. How does it work now? Because I know back in the day they just spit out unlimited termagants. But what does it do now? So the way it works now is it's there's two two or three rules here that really matter. So termagant's beefier than it was before. She's a big beefy mama. And if she is within one inch of a termagant unit with at least fifteen models, that is closer to the enemy than her, she cannot be shot. Oh wow! So a, a large termagant squad bodyguards for big mama okay that's cool but she had the gaunts have to be closer it's not pure bodyguard because you you have to put the unit in front of her but you can abuse line of sight so they just have to be closer they don't have to be visible uh second the termogon in your command phase can do one of two things she can spawn gaunts or she can heal Gaunts. so i pick a termagant unit within six inches of me and it heals two D6 slain gaunts that have to pack up wholly within six inches of her. (laughs) But I can heal those two D6 gaunts, and then I can spend the command point to heal D3 plus three more. So that on average puts out like 12 gaunts of repair a turn onto the big squad. And uh, the the two D6 come in within six of her, I fill out that spot, and then the D3 plus three comes in anywhere as they grow forward and tag objectives where they set me up to go make a primary contest play, things like that of that nature. Um, Or I can choose to spawn a termagant unit once per game and that is once per game i put a 10 a 10 strong term squad down on the table is it um is it free to do that it's free yep don't have to pay reserve points so and you, so you like once per game you get to put a 10 man squad down basically because yep. you can either heal or you get to just throw it so late game yeah. you can just throw a squad down yeah so if the, if the big squad dies i'll just make a small one now there, there are some caveats to that which is that the unit's not in a detachment which means it doesn't get the crack and trade of d3 plus three the one that you create because if it's not in a detachment it doesn't get straight and it does not get offset get to uh get offset because it's not in a detachment right man so just the data sheet rules but it's still a very it's still it's a free unit and it's in the command phase and because it's in the command phase that means that it uh it's before I score primary so I can good attack. combat Are termogons good in combat <coughs> not even a little bit they are weapon <laughs> skill 4 strength 3 damage 1 AP dash oh no i mean the the What's it called? Oh, the Big Mama. Uh, the Big is like, not terrible. She's four attacks, then she can do a sweep to be eight attacks. She's, like, weapon skill three, strength high, AP high. She's, like, 2d3 damage on the big chops or two on the swings. You can beef her up, because you can give her a warlord trait or a relic. You can get her, you know, d3 attacks on the charge of the CP. You can give her full rerolls to hit with a warlord trait. You can give her full rerolls to wound with a stratagem or a relic. Like, you can make her kind of hit, but you have to invest CP in it, so you have to decide that pregame. Um, I would probably not try to turn her into a combat monster, but the idea is fun because you can make her not bad. Does she shoot? Uh, not significantly. Hmm. Eight shot, strength five, AP one, damage one is my memory. Okay. It's like so, it's cute. It's like she puts out like two good Bolters. You know, so, it's nice, but like I'm, I'm, she's not a shooting threat. So she she fits into your list pretty well though because she's able to do a lot of board manipulation, uh, exactly. primary manipulation stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of the 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 theory question of. I'm, le- I'm making something a strength. Should I invest more in it to make a better strength, or should I take more diverse units to shore up other weaknesses? So do I try to have more strengths, or do I try to have a, what I'm good at be better? So the 20 is uh, the next level of primary control. But I think what, do you, uh, what do you drop for it? That's why I haven't put her in yet. Uh, so it's 425. Five, if my memory serves to put her in i think she's 215 and then the guns are 210 but if it's 425 give or take a couple of points um i could cut one unit of tyrant guard so i I have two and i could cut the walk rent and that would give me not enough points that is about 325 points oh. 315 something in that range and i need about 100 more and that's where it's hard because that's like a whole unit of zone thropes. that ain't good or it's like the unit of venomthrope, but then the venomthrope are so good because they make the cons minus one to hit. It's like, man, I want to keep those. So it's it's tricky. That is that's tricky. The problem is, I I like everything I have, and that's why I have not cut. It also makes the flyer the warlord, and then I lose my imperatives if the flyer dies. And you don't want that. The flyer the flyer has to be doing his thing. The flyer does his thing better than most. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't want to lose him. And also, like, I don't want to ever be too conservative with him because like the whole thing with the Flyrant is that with High Fleet Kraken, again, you advance eight for a CP. So a normal tyrant is like 17 plus d6. And that's what people are used to. And I can just be like, no, no, no. 25 inches. Fly, no dice rolled. Then I declare the charge. That's and gross. that is terrifying. And if if he's the warlord, people will kind of figure out, like, eh, if you if you suicide him turn one, you're gonna lose your war, your imperatives for the whole game. I bet you're not going to do that. And then they get to be a little more aggressive. And, uh, yeah. but when I have the walker and I can just be like, hey, this guy's disposable. If he dies, he's gone, but that's <laughs> all I'm losing. The, the army doesn't suffer, just the tyrant is gone. Right. So, like, do you really want to put that unit, you know, 29 inches away from the tyrant? Do you think I would risk a six entry rollable charge to kill your warlord? I might. <laughs> yeah. And then he's back there. I mean, you got to deal with him. That's a whole turn. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's not like when I put him back there, it's not like he's done. You have to kill him. He's not, he's not weak. No, he's not. He ain't weak. Yeah. He, uh, he wiped, he wiped out a bunch of my, when I played him in my game uh, in Chicago, he wiped out like a big knight and like a little knight, I think. And when he got backfilled, it was, it was pretty gnarly. I want to speak about this. Uh, speaking of this distances, are you aware that a baby knight with the errant on him can move like 21 inches, which is pretty wild? 12 and you flat advance of Let's that's nuts. He, that's nuts, man. That's super good. Super good. Yeah. Super I mean, good. You can even give him. I think you can even give him like a plus one to charge, right? The Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. So he's yeah, plus one to charge on top of it. Yeah. He's he's super fast. Again, you know, one CP move twenty one, very scary. But twenty five is better than twenty one. And is. I fly. That's true. So you're just going anywhere. You're going right out. Fly, over. fly, matters <laughs> a locked. That boy, fast. Well, well, I hear my baby screaming, "Dada!" Uh, over there. So I think that's. <laughs> That's the signal that this episode is over, John. I'm sorry. We're done. We're done here, man. Well, I am I still appreciate you having me on. It's always good to be here chatting with you, Blake. John, it was excellent having you on, man, as always. I'll see you in New Mexico, and uh, we'll have to talk some Kirinids, play some games, and uh, have some fun, man. All right. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Join us next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com